0: We just got back, Uh, it's really good to be back. Uh, We were in Jeffreys Bay, We went to go watch the WSL, which was great. Um, It was an incredible experience, the waves were massive, it was very intimidating to watch the best surfers in the world, surfing these incredible waves, and uh, just spending some time together as a family. And while we were there, I got to uh, share at a a little local church, which is an oxygen outreach plant slash plant church which is run by a friend of ours and uh it was really cool um uh, but there are about 12 people and they meet in a small hall and uh on the saturday gary the guy who runs is like do you want to share and because i can't help myself i'm like yes of course i'll share (laughs) even though i'm on holiday i'll share and uh it was just an incredible time we met in a small room and this had worship which was amazing we didn't want to end the worship and then they're like oh but there's a guest speaker so we should end the worship and I was like no don't end the worship anyway they ended the worship then I spoke then we went back into worship and uh, ended in an amazing time of prophecy and prayer for a couple who'd come down from East London for the weekend and they just they just happened to come to that church or they were visiting and they knew someone there a church of 12 people came in and just got ministered to radically just prophetic words and encouragement people who were burning out needed um, encouragement. So it was a really, really special time. And, uh, yeah, it just reminded us of something of the early church, of the smallness of it, but uh, the fact that God was with them powerfully. When I was with them, I was preaching out of the book of Acts, and I was um, going through certain things I found in the book of Acts, in, in Acts 1 and 2, um, and in the early church, and things that the early church did at that time. And I went through really the basics of prayer, unity, um, the apostles' teaching, reliance on the Holy Spirit, and being gospel-focused. Okay, And that's really what I shared with that church, which was an amazing time. And um, I think the one point that I'd said to them, and I think it was something I reflected for us as a church as well, is that when a church is not praying, then they are proud. I was like, man, I don't know if we pray enough. Because if we're not humble and in humility coming for God, asking him for stuff, well then we think we can do it on our own strength. And I think there's a season in our church where we need to go into a time of more prayer, of not doing it on our own strength, but in prayer, coming before God in humility and going, Jesus, what do you want to do? But how, how are you going to do this in this church, and how do we just follow after you? Okay, anyway, that's a side point. But I spoke about these really foundational things in the early church, which was an encouragement for them. But tonight I want to talk about something which I think is extremely important to any church, and I think it was one of the building blocks of the early church. And that is a thing of discipleship. Now, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, which is, if you've been in Josh Jen for a while, you probably haven't ever heard. It's very unique. Um, no one ever really shares it. It's in the book of Acts 2.42. I mean, it's very rarely that we ever preach this passage. But just indulge me for once as I read it again. And this might be new to you, but just hear it with fresh ears. Okay, I'm just being facetious. Okay, so Acts 2.42 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I'm sure if you've been in Joshua, for any short amount of time, you could probably recite that word for word. Now, the thing that I I noticed and I just got me thinking, and I, I have thought about this before, but I was like, we start... At 42, and we go, and they. That's how we always do it, and they. And I, the question I was asking is, who is the they? Who can tell me who the they is? Okay. Okay. The 120. Okay. No, that's good. Any, any other ones? I mean, the saints. Us. The ones that been with Jesus. Okay, so we've got saints, the ones with Jesus, 120. Fair enough to say the disciples were, were in that number. Okay. The, the, the donkeys. Sure, let's add the donkeys as well. <laughs> okay. And you're you all right in some sense. But what I think is interesting is when you get to Acts 2.42, well, you need to get through Acts 2.41, right? And when you read from 37 onwards, it says this. And this is Peter's first gospel presentation. So Pentecost has happened. and The, um, the disciples have spoken in tongues, and strange tongues. And, and they have appealed to all these people. Then Peter stands up and he presents the gospel. Right? In the end of presenting the gospel, he says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with these many and many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So when we read the passage in Acts 2:42 and it says and they he's talking about the 3,000 souls plus the 120 plus the apostles that were saved on the day of Pentecost. Okay. Now, that is radical church growth in anyone's book. But there's something extremely exciting about that that, that one line that on that day they were added three thousand souls. Now, like if you, if you like me, I like to ask a lot of questions, and Haka goes mad because whenever she tells me a story, I ask about fifty questions. She doesn't know the answer to, and then in the end, she just gets exasperated and she's like, "Stop asking questions! I don't know the details." But I like to ask questions are going, "Well, there's three thousand people that were saved on the day of Pentecost, and the church." radically explodes after Peter presents the gospel, right? This incredible message that he stands up and people are cut to the heart because they realize for the first time that the man that they have crucified and killed was the Messiah, okay? And at that realization, they are cut to the heart and they, they go, how do, we, how do we save us? Or how do we repent and get forgiveness for this? And Peter then explains that to them. And it's an incredible piece of scripture. But what I love about that the most is the fact that those people were saved, so many were saved. And we have to think to ourselves then, what would happen tonight if 20 people got saved in our meeting in one night? What would, what would our response be? I think there'd be a little bit of fear. Okay, Renee's excited. Okay, that's good. So there's a little bit of expectation and excitement, right? That's good. But I think and this is kind of the process I was going through, was Pentecost happens, 3,000 people get saved. And then the scripture says that those 3,000 people devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the breaking of bread, did it a little bit. So once they're saved, they fall into this pattern of what it was like to be in the early church. And I think sometimes we go like, well, well, the early church was just all over the place, like quite organic and, you know, they just did what they did. But there was definitely a structure that these people came into, and that thing was taught to them through discipleship. These people just didn't suddenly. Yes, they received the Holy Spirit, but they didn't suddenly overnight or over a few days suddenly go, "Well, now we must devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching because it all makes sense to us." And well, we understand what breaking of bread, and we understand prayer, we understand everything. No, they were taught by the 120 and the apostles what it meant to be a Christian. So John Piper says this. Ashamably love John Piper. But he says this people need to become Christians. That's quite an interesting statement here. Huh? People need to become Christians, and people need to be taught how to think and feel and act as a Christian. That is a disciple. Right. And I think sometimes we go, well, Pentecost and it's awesome and there's lots of stuff happening and there's the Holy Spirit's breaking out and then 3,000 get saved and then the hard work starts. <laughs> where we come into the picture, the thing of discipleship, of, of walking people through, what, is this, what does it mean that you've just done? You've given your life to Christ. Something has happened inside of you where you've responded to the gospel. Now, let me explain to you Everything that that means and what that looks like in your life, along with the help of the Holy Spirit, obviously. And Scripture bears witness to this. Matthew 28, 18, obviously, is the most famous passage about evangelism. Um, so Jesus says, and he came to me, and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, even till the end of the age. Or 2 Timothy uh, 2 says this, You therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and in the things that you have heard from me, say say among many witnesses, entrust these things to faithful men, who will be qualified to teach others as well. So there's something about this thing of discipleship, where those who are in the faith are reaching out and teaching new believers about Jesus about the faith, about what it means, and, and, and how do you walk this thing out? And I hope that gets you excited in some sense. And as I said, I think, um, yeah, okay, I've said that point already. I got ahead of myself my notes. But you can imagine the, these, these new converts coming in, and there weren't that many Christians at that time. I mean, I, I think I tried to do the math, and my math is very bad, but I think when I added everyone up, came to about 136 people who were in Jerusalem at that time. So the 120, which would have included the 72, uh, the apostles, it then says that Jesus' brothers were there. So I counted the four brothers, and I think Mary was there. So give or take 136 to 140 people. And then you get 3,000 new converts coming in in one day. I don't know what the maths is on that. I'm very bad at math. But I think it worked out to about... 25 people per disciple. So immediately, if you were part of those 140, you were an instant community group leader. (laughs) Right? I mean, here's 20 people. Teach them the basics of the faith. Salvation, forgiveness, sin. And so that's what they do, right? That's what the apostles do. That's what the the disciples at that time were doing to these people who are coming to the church. Teaching them about prayer about unity, about the apostles' teaching, sitting under the apostles' teaching. What I love about Acts 1 is that we see, we see Judas has betrayed Jesus, and then he kills him, he buys a field, and then he, he hangs himself and he dies. And then Peter comes back to the 120, and he has to explain to them biblically why this has happened. Now, that is an apostolic teaching. In my mind, that's one of the greatest apostolic teachings, because if I was Peter, I was like, geez, okay. I need to explain why this is happening. And he goes through scripture and he does it. He explains to them from scripture why this has happened and why this had to happen. Okay. So they, so these this group of people are explaining to these new converts exactly what it's all about. And be, about being gospel focused. So let's use the example of prayer. So these people are converted on the day of Pentecost and I presume as Jews, they would know what prayer is. I think the Jews prayed three times a day, if I'm not not mistaken. And uh, the Pharisees were always praying. And uh, the Bible actually never really compliments the Pharisees often on how they pray. In fact, Jesus is quite scathing, or scriptures are quite scathing about how they pray. Um, The one prayer that the Pharisees pray, and this is a, a real, I hope we don't pray like this. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I gave a tenth of all I get. Wow. If that isn't a religious prayer, then I don't know what it is. I hope no one's praying like that. If you are, you, we will we'll pray for you. Um, so the Jews were familiar with prayer and the concept of prayer. And yet, the disciples go to Jesus in Matthew, and they say, teach us to pray, which I always find quite interesting. Teach us to pray. Well, they we would have known what prayer was. So they're, not, they're not going, teach us this concept of prayer. They're going, teach us how to pray. And they use John, um, John the Baptist as an example. John the Baptist had taught his disciples how to pray. So Jesus' disciples go, teach us how to pray like, like he taught his disciples how to pray. And I can imagine that these, these um, believers had done the same thing on the day of Pentecost with new believers, going, we, ha- we understand the concept of prayer, but you guys seem to pray differently. Like what, is, what, is this, what is this way that you pray, this thing that you've been taught? And then you go back to Matthew 6, and then they say, this is the Lord's Prayer. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And we know that scripture. And and I was saying to the church in Jeffreys Bay, like, actually, when, the, when Jesus is finished, when, when he ascends, he goes back to, um, the disciples go back to Jerusalem. And they're in the upper room, and they all get together, and they're praying. And I don't know what it was, but at that moment, I was explaining to the church in Jeffreys Bay, like, what it must have been like. The faith that must have filled their hearts when they were standing in that room, when Jesus saying, ah, you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the prayers of faith that they must have had at that moment? They've just seen Jesus ascend. Then they go back and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit and they're praying. Um, That has been incredible. And maybe they even started their prayer with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And maybe as they're praying those very words, these tongues of fire are seen above their heads. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a disciple, I don't think I'd be expecting to see tongues of fire levitating over my friend's head. And then walking out into the street and speaking in different languages so people understood the gospel. And it's wild. But sometimes people need to be taught about these things. This is how you pray. As a new believer, how many of you knew how to pray well? Often, as a new believer, you're just like, Jesus, thank you for church. It was awesome. That's an incredible prayer. Awesome. But as you grow in the faith and as you, you walk with people and disciple you, you learn about prayer. As you read books and pray, you learn about prayer. You learn what it means to, to pray in supplication, to, bring, to present your request to God, to come before God in humility and ask him and, and just sit at his feet. So there's a process of discipleship that all of these people have to go through. And I hope you see the point that I'm getting to as they, as they learn this prayer they're not just learning this pattern of prayer but they're, they're learning precepts of the kingdom they are learning to revere God reliance on God forgiveness deliverance from sin and of death and they're learning this pattern that Jesus had taught them and Jesus teaches them how to pray and then they teach the rest and the 120 you teach the 3000 and it goes on like that which in my mind any kind of revival is sustained. Now, I I love revival. I find them interesting, and I like I like researching them. There's great revivals in the past. The Welsh revival was a massive revival. Uh, the Hebrides had a massive revival. The Great Awakening was a massive revival. The Second Great Awakening was also quite big. Who else can think of any other ones? I mean, there's been lots, right? The Toronto blessing, yes, exactly. And I, when you think of these things, you think of, of, um, of what happened. You see these amazing outpourings of the Spirit happening. And they are incredible. And I think sometimes we equate revival only with a massive outpouring of the Spirit. Which it is, right? I mean, it's incredible when that happens, when there's, there's stuff happening and God is moving and people are being saved. But I think sometimes we forget that after the people have been saved that the real work that accompanies a revival, the outpouring of the Spirit, is discipleship. And I said earlier, what would happen if 20 people came into our congregation and got saved in one day? Well, in my mind, that would be a revival. The next question would be, are we ready to disciple those people into maturity? Or are we just happy that we've got 20 more people? Because we shouldn't just be happy to have 20 more people so we can look good in our numbers but we should seriously take the charge and go right we have been charged to disciple these people into maturity which is what christ has commanded us to do go out into the world and make disciples not converts and that my friends is where we come in as the church we are responsible for discipling new christians into maturity. One commentary says this, and I do like my commentaries. I apologize. In Acts, we see the development of the inner life of the youthful church follows the great external increase. Right, so it's always about the inner life that follows the external increase. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. So, whether growth is exponential, big, or incremental, one by one, discipleship is always vital to healthy growth. Okay. We don't want to grow a crowd, we want to grow a church and a family of believers and converts, not just a crowd. Okay. And the example and uh, the illustration I thought of, and I don't know why I thought of fishing because I don't fish much. Um, but imagine a guy's fishing and he's one fisherman and he throws his net over the side of the boat and he catches 600 fish in the net that would be pretty good and then he manages to pull 20 of those fish into the boat on a permanent basis and take them back to the to shore okay now it's not a perfect analogy so just bear with me he's caught 20 fish but he could have potentially had 600 So, what if there were 10 experienced fishermen on the boat and there were 600 fish in the net and they managed to pull in 580 fish? Well, that would be better odds, right? Okay. I think that is a picture of a church discipling people well. Not to let people just come in and slip through the cracks, but actually intentionally try to disciple them. So, what we see at Pentecost and post-Pentecost is Jesus discipling the 12 three years and discipling them well and then we see those 12 becoming 120 which includes the 72 and this is the mathematics of this preach and again not very good and then those 120 people discipling 3000 new converts which is 20 people, 25 people each according to my fantastic mathematics now I hope you see that there's a momentum building up here it goes from one 12, 120 to 3,002 in 2020 the number of Christians in the world is 2.6 billion okay maybe it's more than that by now hopefully <laughs> if we're doing our job it's like 5 billion Jokes. Um, but that is the momentum that has started at Pentecost and which moves till today And we are a part of that. We are a part of that momentum of making and making disciples, basically, of Christ. So people often ask me uh, this interesting question what can I do in the church as far as serving is concerned? Or what can I do in the church? And uh, I think one of the most important things for a small church is to be willing to disciple people and to help people on their journey in the Lord. And uh, it can be challenging, I think. In fact, I think it's one of the harder ones. I think maybe, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, Rod, AV can sometimes be a little bit easier. Preaching can sometimes be a little bit easier than discipling people. because t- Discipleship is intentional. It takes time it takes a lot of energy it's a bit of a sacrifice but the reward is awesome Okay. so the question then is what is the difference between discipleship and accountability and does, can anyone give me a quick answer what is the difference between discipleship and accountability this is the first question I asked when I thought about discipleship Okay, I'll tell you the answer <laughs> First, disciple-making is focused on becoming. So when we think of a new convert coming into church or um, someone who's recently been saved or come back to Christ, the, discipling that person is a process of them becoming, as I said, Piper Papa said, about becoming and learning what it means to be a Christian. Whereas accountability is focused on behaving. So accountability is very important in the church, but generally accountability is between believers or when you're trying to help someone through a certain behavior, right? And we've all been through that. I, I've had many accountability partners who've helped me. And it's an incredibly important part of church life. Um, but I don't want to get confused between accountability and discipleship. I think discipleship is what I'm focusing on tonight. Okay. So what does this look like for Musenberg Church? Hopefully you've all, um, you've all picked up what I'm putting down in, as Keith, yeah, Keith, you did very well in your announcement, huh? Eh? I loved the modern lingo. It was incredible. <laughs> what does this mean for Musenberg as a church? What does it mean for us in, as far as discipling people are concerned? Well, I think when someone gets saved in our congregation, is our first thought, how can I help disciple that person? Because I think that should be our first thought. As much as we should celebrate salvation, which is incredible, that is a work of God. That is not our work. That is God's work. God, God saves. He brings those people into a family, and then we go, okay, cool. Now we have the awesome responsibility and privilege of discipling this person through to maturity. Okay. Who here has benefited from being discipled well in the church? think it's so important to be discipled in your early stages well in the life of the church and if you let me say this if you've been a christian for more than hmm, what's a good number mike (laughs) two years (laughs) you can blame i who's been a christian for longer than two years wow so there's a lot of um disciple makers in the congregation And it's, I mean, mean, we all, we kind of laugh a little bit, but it's true, right? All of us have work to do. If you've been saved for any amount of time and you know the truth, you can pass that truth on to other people. Okay. Don't, uh, yes, this is an important point. Don't think that if someone gets saved that the community leaders are going to be the ones who disciple them. come on you've all done it <laughs> but but it's a trap we can fall into is that well there's a new person obviously dylan's going to disciple them obviously and or julian or Mike or whoever's leading a community wayne craig it's fine they've got it under control guys if you see someone getting saved and you're the first let me say this if someone comes to the front and you pray for them for salvation don't you think it'd be awesome if you walked a journey of discipleship with them I mean, imagine praying for someone to get saved and then having the amazing privilege of going, can I just teach you a few things about our faith and what it means to be a Christian? I think that is an incredible privilege. And none of you are disqualified from doing that. Everyone who put your hand up. Okay. That's the challenge I'd like to set for everyone. (laughs) And I think the only way the church gathers momentum and moves forward is if each person sees that mandate and fulfills it. Okay. I think I think a church will struggle if it's only a few people at the top doing all the discipling and everyone else is doing is not doing the disciple. This is a work for all of us. I know I'm repeating myself but I really want to get this across. It's everyone's job to take new believers under their wings and to mentor them. So you might be thinking well I don't know if I've got the tools to do this. I've been saved for a few years, but maybe I don't necessarily have the tools The amazing news is that we are going to equip you to be disciple makers. Right. So, for the next 11 weeks, (laughs) at Community Group, you're going to watch a video. Because there's 11 videos by Mourne van der called Start Here, which is basically really a toolkit on discipleship and what it means to be a Christian. So they cover things like sin, forgiveness, baptism, the Holy Spirit, unforgiveness, and there's a few other things. Now, it's good for all of us to be reminded of the foundations of our faith. So it's good if you all watch them again and just be reminded of what we believe. But actually, if you're a believer who knows these things, then let these things just soak in and remind yourself, hey, actually, I can do this. I know these things. If you know everything, that's amazing. Then you can, you, when the next bit of the time someone comes to church, you can pray for them. You're like, hey, can I just take you for a coffee? Because there's something I need to tell you about faith. Okay. Alright. And while we are doing the course, could I say this? Can we not just do the course in anticipation for learning how to disciple people well? But could we pray for people to come into the church that need to be discipled? <laughs> it does help. To have people that you can disciple okay now that again is prayer but it's also the responsibility of the church because jesus says firstly to disciples and then to us go out and make disciples now we can pray for people to come in which is awesome but there's also something of going out and reaching people for the gospel okay Peter, when, he, when the Pentecost, he, he doesn't just, they don't just stay in the upper room, which would have been great, because I'm sure the tongues of fire would have kept going, and they would have had a real cool Holy Spirit party. But they went down out of the room, into the road, and he shares the gospel, and people are saved. Okay. And from that moment, and they, 3,000, followed what they were taught by the apostles, and all of these things that they'd learned. OK. So Acts: 242 and 41 talks about a revival. Who would love to see a revival? Who is honestly ready for a revival? Wow <laughs> That is not what I expected, but that's amazing. OK, keep this honest. <laughs> Although well, no, the people who don't put their hands up are honest, right? But it's, it's a good. It's, that, is, yeah, that is amazing, actually. We want revival. But I don't know if we are we ready for it. <laughs> and that's why we're doing the course to get ready. Because <laughs> Keith's going to disciple everyone who comes in. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, guys, this is the mandate of the church. So if the church wants revival, the church needs to be ready for revival. We can't pray, Lord, bring revival, and people come in, and then the next minute there's 100 people here, and none of them get discipled, and in two years' time, none of them are around anymore. That's just not the point. Okay. So please take this assignment seriously, and take this time seriously. When you are together in community groups, watch these things. Learn. Send these videos to your friends. Send them to your family. Say, so guys, what, do you have any questions about this? I'd love to answer any questions you have. Send it to backslidden Christians or people who are not walking with Jesus at the moment, going, hey, what are your thoughts on this? I'd love to have a discussion with you. I'd love to have a coffee and chat through these things with you. And I promise you, by the end of the 11 weeks, you will feel confident. I promise you will feel confident enough to speak to people about Jesus. And not just speak to them and share the gospel, but actually lead them salvation firstly but then walk a journey of discipleship with them okay because the, the heart really is that if there's 50 people here tonight that if each person disciples one person then that's the church is doubled in size and it would be amazing if the church doubled in size to 100 but only if those 50 people are being discipled well i honestly mean that